Well, if you don't mind me saying so, some of you look like you had a late night. <laughs> but it was worth it. Merry Christmas. This Sunday falls at a time when we have a lot of visiting family here, people who don't get here often. It's always good to see you. I'm happy to have my own mom and sister and her family here today. That's a rarity for, for us. I know that some of you know them and will want to say hello. I love a story about the elderly woman who went to a local church from out of town and was greeted by a friendly usher at the door who walked her up the steps and asked her where she'd like to sit. And she said, I'd like to sit on the front row, please. He says, uh, you really don't want to do that. This preacher is boring. And she said, young man, do you know who I am? He said, no. She said, I'm the preacher's mother. And he said, well, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And he said, good. <laughs> you too have the right to remain anonymous, but whatever brings you here today, we welcome you and we hope to make you feel at home. Sadly, the same cannot be said of the Christ child, as you heard a moment ago, as if it were not bad enough that there was no room at the inn before he was born. There was no room in the whole country afterward. Once Herod heard rumors that there was another Jewish king coming into the world, he went on such a rampage, it wasn't safe for Jesus anywhere under his jurisdiction. Mary and Joseph had to smuggle Jesus out of the country and raise him as an immigrant with no idea if it, if it might ever be safe to return. We spent four weeks in Advent preparing the way and then this. P peace on earth and goodwill toward men, and now, not so much. Is God with us or in Egypt? In a matter of a few days, we've gone back to the world of principalities and powers where might makes right, where God seems so small and powerless he can be run out of town. Isn't it the perfect story for the week that we pack up the decorations and stand in the return lines in the store and go back on our diets and head back to work? as though Christmas is a wonderful place to visit, but you can't stay there forever. We got a nice gift, but now we read the fine print and there are restrictions. This Sunday's always been a low attendance Sunday in the church because people who love Christmas don't flock to tend to hear the stories that the church tells in the days after. But, but the truth is, this is where we get to tell the stories carry the questions that most of us have about God most of the time. At some point, we all have experienced the felt absence of God. Whether God is really absent, we can't say, but God can certainly feel absent. And we wonder whether that means God isn't real, or maybe God isn't so good, or maybe God is mad at us and has left us to struggle on our own. After college, I did youth camp work for a few years. And by the way, we were rocking Baby Shark before baseball even knew it was a thing. But at, uh, at youth camp, toward the end of the week, almost invariably there would be some young people who would come to us 
in grief over the loss of the childlike faith they once had. Try as they might, they would say, they just don't feel anything when others are emotional and they, they don't get answers when they pray and they, they have doubts that they just can't put out of their mind. And we camp counselors were a little too green to be in charge of answering questions like that. So we came up with some snappy answers that made us seem really wise. We'd say, well, if you feel distant from God, is it really that God has moved away from you or have you moved away from God? Hmm? We told ourselves that we were helping young people understand that faith is a relationship, it's a two-way street, but what I really think we were communicating is, look, while you're feeling insecure and inadequate, what you really need is a heap of guilt about what a lousy Christian you have been. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Cam Counselor. I guess it was more important to me in those days to have an answer than it was to be a compassionate listener. If I could have a do-over, I would say, you know, kid, I know exactly what you mean. I've been there myself. I can only tell you that doubt is part of faith. It does not mean you're a Christian failure. In fact, as a teenager, this is exactly the right time to feel as you do and to begin to question the things that you've always thought and heard. And then I'd say, and look, you will never find another book in all of Christian literature that is more honest about the feeling that God is absent than the Bible itself. You know, the ancient world was obsessed with where God is and where God lives. That's what all those ancient temples were about. It was an attempt to entice whatever gods there were to come live in the midst of the people so they could be safe from without and productive from within. That's why they always carted their gods into battle with them and why being defeated by the gods of other nations was so utterly demoralizing. The Hebrews of the Old Testament first had no land to build a temple on, and when they finally did, it was destroyed. They rarely had an army, and when they finally did, it was often defeated. So where was God? Poor Job. While poor Job is suffering every hardship imaginable, God is silent for over 30 chapters. The writer of the Psalms was so depressed, he sang, my tears are my food. You were my refuge. Why have you cast me off? When the Assyrians came, God did not protect Israel. When Babylon showed up, God did not keep them from being pillaged and carted off into exile. The prophets kept insisting they were still God's people. You heard it a moment ago from Isaiah. It was no messenger, but it was, it was God's presence that saved them. But the people said, then where is God? John the Baptist came along, did everything right, ended up on death row. And the same Jesus that told us to visit the prisoner never went to visit John. When Jesus' friend Lazarus was dying, he didn't show up. Martha said, where were you? When Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, there was no answer. And on the cross, when Jesus said, why hast thou forsaken me? There was silence. The Bible assures us that God is with us always, but this feeling, this felt absence of God permeates the Bible. And if it weren't important to admit that, if it were more important to protect God's image, to sell more Bibles, they would have left it out. 
But the felt absence of God is part and parcel of faith. We don't have to hide it or be ashamed of it. It has a role to play. I've always loved the expression uh, that something or someone has turned up missing. It's like something that only Yogi Berra would say. Either you turn up or you're missing. You can't, you can't do both. But the biblical witness is that while we can't do that, God can. Stay with me for just a minute. Did you know that the Hebrew concept of creation is that before there was creation, God was all there was? And so for God to create anything, God had to first make a space and withdraw from it so that creation could have a place to exist. That is, God had to create absence so that there could be new kinds of presence. God chose to be absent in some ways so that God could be present in others. And whenever God is revealed to us, the revelation God chooses is always based upon what we most need God to be for us to become who God wants us to become. That's the Bible story. So in the wilderness, God led the Hebrews by day with a cloud, but the dark of night required a pillar of fire. That meant that by day, the fire was absent. And by night, the cloud was absent because the revelation was based upon what they needed. When the tribe descended into moral anarchy, God's revelation was the law. But when they used the law to condemn one another, God's revelation was grace. When they begged God for a kingdom, God let them have one. But when the kingdom became destructive of personhood, God sent a person who embodied the kingdom of God and when it was clear that they were going to kill that person, Jesus prepared them for yet another revelation, saying that he would be with them always, but not in always the same way. He would go ahead of us, he said in John 14, but he would send an, another, an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who would teach us everything and remind us of the things Jesus had said to us. And then, just so they wouldn't miss it, he said an amazing thing, he said, it is to your advantage that I go away. To our advantage? How can that be? For if I do not go away, he said, the advocate will not come. God had accomplished what could only be accomplished through Jesus. God had things to do now that could only be accomplished through the Holy Spirit. What I'm suggesting today is that the felt absence of God and the many faces of God may be two sides of the same coin. When God is absent in one way, it is because God is present in another. And the presence that God chooses is the one we most need God to be in order to become who God wants us to become. Have you ever noticed that the story of the flight to Egypt that we read this morning only appears in one of the four Gospels? Gospel of Matthew. Luke's gospel is the one with the angels and the shepherds and the songs we love to read at Christmas. Matthew's gospel was written for a very specific audience and a very specific purpose. It was to ensure the Jewish people that they, would, they should have no doubt that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. 
And he knows, the author knows that the key to, to that will be to demonstrate that every Jewish prophecy about the Messiah is fulfilled in Jesus. That's why five times in the book of Matthew you hear, and so it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. And so it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. And the chief embodiment of the prophets for the Jewish people was Moses. So Matthew's gospel includes all the ways that Jesus has accomplished what Moses has done, but only more, only better. So Moses is born as Pharaoh's troops are killing the firstborn. Jesus is born as Herod's troops are doing the same. Moses parts the water. Jesus walks on the water. Moses brings water from the rock. Jesus turns water into wine. And then there's this. Moses' story begins where? In Egypt, signifying that that's where God's deliverance comes from for God's people. And so Matthew 2, 15, and so it was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt, I call my son. What reads like bad news to us is the best news a first century Hebrew living under Roman oppression could possibly hear. God's Messiah has come out of Egypt. Our Redeemer has arrived. Our deliverance is assured. Once again, what others meant for evil, God is using for good. Once again, what seems like the absence of God in Israel is the presence of God in Egypt for Israel's sake. We may want to settle for God's assurance, but God is trying to give us deliverance. This is the world seen through the eyes of faith, and history has decided that Matthew's version is truer than Herod's. It's not Pollyanna, look on the bright side, positive thinking. It's just trusting that God is present and working for our good in ways that we cannot always see or understand. And it's the testimony of the whole Bible. If God is not moving over the face of the deep, then God is coming in to the darkness as light. If God is not in Israel, then in Egypt. And if not in Egypt, in the wilderness. If the father seems absent, a son is born. If the son is rejected by some, the spirit falls on all. If God's power is not evident in strength, it is made perfect in weakness. Our creator is nothing if not creative. So yes, God can turn up missing. And the reason may be that God's love is just so very mature. And it has maturity in mind for us as well. A little girl from our neighborhood was visiting not long ago, and she was telling us that she was going to her best friend's house, but really preferred it when she could go see her best friend elsewhere, because when she went to her friend's house, the friend's mother would simply not leave them alone. She was always talking, always getting them to help bake cookies or go somewhere all together, always in the middle, always trying really hard to insinuate herself as one of the girls, and the girls just never got to be with their friend. And I thought, that woman loves her daughter, but she hasn't learned the maturity of creative withdrawal. She hasn't matured to the point that she can let go of her need to be liked, to be a mother instead of just a, a buddy. 
She's not yet able to trust that good things can happen, necessary things can happen in her absence. She hasn't developed the faith to just trust that she will always be present in her daughter's life no matter where she goes or who she's with. And the instant she can love enough to create some space, both she and her daughter will grow. I cannot defend the absence, the felt absence of God in your life. I sympathize deeply with that pain, though. I just know there's a difference between God failing to be present and God not being present in the way that I want or expect. If we're mature enough to know it, surely God knows it. You don't teach your children their own capability and resilience by fulfilling every wish they have like a genie in the bottle. You don't shape character by doing for your children what they need to do for themselves. And you don't turn total strangers into church families by doing for them what they need to do for one another. So God may withdraw from doing things for us so that God can be present in doing things with us. And if God has withdrawn from being what we want, it might be because God is being what we need. Here's another story about a little girl. She wakes in the middle of the night to the screech of fire detectors and her own coughing. She realizes her room is full of smoke and she's disoriented. She moves toward the only light she can make out, which turns out to be the window, and she manages to pry it open. Outside, she hears the distant sound of fire engines and the relieved cries of adult voices down on the ground below her second-story window. There she is. Thank God, they say. Her daddy's voice says, Honey, the house is on fire. Do not go back in the house. Sit on the ledge and then jump, and I will catch you. I can't, she said, coughing. I'm scared. I, I can't see anything. I know, he says, but, but I'm right below you, sweetie, and I will catch you. You just have to jump. But, Daddy, I can't see you. I know, honey, but I can see you. And all that matters right now is that I can see you. Would you pray with me? Oh God, at the hinge of the year, we look back and have to confess that you seemed absent in some time or some way that was important to us. And we do not understand that. But we can also see that you have been present in more ways than we could hope for or enumerate. Help us now to step forward into the new year with a faith born of grateful experience, trusting your wisdom to be for us what we most need you to be, Trusting your love to never fail us. Trusting you. Amen. Our hymn of commitment is hymn 72. Go tell it.
If you would join this church today or make public some new commitment for God, I invite you to meet me down front so that I can pray with you and let the church know about your decision. Let's stand and sing, and I will look to see you coming.